0: Hello and welcome to this episode of A Clean Bill of Wealth Podcast. I'm your host, Galen Nuttall, and as always, this is the spot where I interview people who are up to amazing things, supporting and enhancing the lives of physicians, especially Canadian physicians. Now, I have a quick question before we hop on over to the episode. Have you ever wanted to work with a financial planner, pay them for their advice or a plan, but not have to buy a product from them? I got good news for you. I do that. It's called fee-based planning, where you pay for a plan that answers your top questions like, should I pay off debt or invest? Am I making the most of my corporation? How should I invest inside of my corporation? What do I need to do to be on track for retirement? And much, much more. If you want to know more and are wondering if you're a good fit for fee-based planning, head on over to galenhelpsdocs.com. That's G-A-L-E-N helpsdocs.com. Read up more about it and book a free call where you and I will talk and see if you're a good fit for fee-based planning. And now on with the show. All right. Welcome, everyone, to this episode of A Clean Bill of Wealth Podcast. I'm joined by Dr. Randy Cook. Uh, Thanks so much for being on my show. And thanks so much for inviting me.
1: I'm really looking forward to
0: this. Yeah, me too. Absolutely. And for anyone who doesn't know, uh, Dr. Randy Cook uh, has more than four decades of bedside practice as a a general and a vascular surgeon. And he's a well-respected clinician, educator, organizational leader, and executive physician coach. And Dr. Cook is the host of the podcast Prescription for Success, uh, which has a lot of really great reviews on uh, Apple, which is fantastic. And that is a podcast that spotlights physician leaders' reflecting on the elements that made them successful. So very happy to have you and very happy to see what we come up with in conversation. Looking forward to it. And so one of the things I'd love to hear about is, um, you know, very fascinated by the conversations uh, that, you know, physicians are having with other physicians in the area of um, success and coaching. So if you could share with us a little bit, your background of, uh, you know, what is it. Um, you know, what kinds of conversations are you having with physicians on that podcast? What kind of conversations are you having around coaching?
1: Well, just to underscore the, um, uh, what we thought would be a good place to start a podcast. uh, MD Coaches, of course, uh, is a business that's dedicated to providing coaching services for physicians as well as other uh, healthcare professionals. And the podcast, Prescription for Success podcast, uh, was created uh, as sort of a, a publicity vehicle uh, for the coaching company as well. And we thought uh, if we're going to be coaching physicians, if we're going to be talking to physicians about challenges that they're having in their career or uh decisions that they're trying to make about their career uh it made a lot of sense to uh, have some conversations with physicians who have already proven themselves as profoundly successful in many different ways and that's exactly what we did so uh every week uh you know, uh, we get on a connection uh, similar to this, and I have a conversation almost always with a physician. It's not always a physician. We have nurses. We even have some people uh, who are in, who are involved uh, in uh, uh, healthcare economics uh, in one way or another, but it's mostly mm-hmm. physicians, mm-hmm. and we literally uh, talk to them about their career from the inception uh, when they Uh, First thought they might be interested in medical school and uh, what the training was like. Uh, And uh, we get into much more detail about uh, what it's been like for them uh, Mm -hmm. as a physician. And it just, uh, it gives us uh, a place where we hope uh, that people will uh, hear what some uh, other people have been through. And some of them have been through some incredible struggles. Mm. Uh, So part of the idea is that it doesn't necessarily have to be uh, a chip shot. A lot of people think that uh, everybody that goes to medical school is really smart and uh, they don't have any reason to stumble and fall. Mm. But that is certainly not the case. So uh, we we talk about those things and, and we also talk about the incredible diversity of things that people do not only in the clinical world, but in the non-clinical world as well. So that's mm-hmm. uh, a lengthy uh, and a rather non-detailed description of of the podcast.
0: I got it. And, and I do find it fascinating to hear, and I mean, kind of like what you said of um, for some for some people, it may seem that uh, physicians have it all figured out. They go to med school, they go to residency, they start practice. Uh, you know, usually they make a good income, like life is good. And what I know um, as a, well, as a financial planner of physicians, is not it's certainly on the money side, not everything is always good. Um, but also in other areas of life. Um, and I mean, one fascinating thing is like, so my dad's a physician, he's retired now, but he's a nephrologist, had a Dialysis dialysis practice for many years, actually in Georgia, close to where you're at right now, and um, that is close. (laughs) Yeah, it's one of the things I didn't mention. We kicked off the podcast is that you are not in the same province or even country. (laughs)
1: That's (laughs) a fact.
0: And um, I asked my dad not too long. Well, when I became a financial advisor, I asked my dad a little bit more about what he would have liked to have had on that end, or uh, earlier on. But then I asked him one time, how I asked him, how do you think you, how do you think I can support physicians more? And he said, uh, introduce them to good coaches because he had a coaching experience a little bit late in his career, but it was a very profound one that helped him uh, overcome a lot of um, you know negative experiences in his life, and. Um, yeah. So I find that interesting to really kind of. I may be on. a little
1: prejudiced, but I think your dad was uh, right on. And I, I suspect uh, that he probably is pretty near my age group and he has seen the uh, change in circumstances that uh, has put today's clinician uh, in a set of circumstances that didn't exist when mm. your dad and I started our practices.
0: Yeah. Mm. Interesting. What what would some of those things be? They think that have really shifted.
1: Well, um, first of all, I think it's I think it's very important to understand that um, I suspect that most. I'm not going to say all because every physician you meet is going to be an individual, but uh, a great many. Uh, People who decide to go into the practice of medicine are, uh, you know, they're overachievers, first of all. And secondly, they're almost pathologically empathic. Mm. They uh, are there uh, because they really uh, uh, have a uh, significant capacity to see not only the physical pain in their patients, but also the emotional pain as well. Mm -hmm. Uh, And that uh, is kind of a setup for self-destruction unless you're very careful. Mm -hmm. Uh, Also, uh, I think the great majority of physicians when they start their practice are uh, rather financially impaired, if I can use that term. Mm-hmm. And I, I have a feeling that you understand exactly what I mean uh, in that regard because they, they're not educated in assets, liabilities, and profit and loss and those kind of things. Uh, and they get lost in that world. It becomes very, very important, certainly if you're in private practice. But interestingly, uh, I don't think that's gotten any better uh, as private practice has begun to disappear. Uh, mm-hmm. particularly in this country. I don't. I don't really have a good feel for how it's going in Canada, but actually I think it's very similar mm-hmm. uh, north of the border. Um, and uh, as that shift has taken place, uh, physicians are getting the feeling that they are looked upon as being expendable. You know, they are looked upon as, at best, a profit center and at worst, uh, overhead Mm. and to, to, to come face to face with, uh, that reality of, uh, you know, somebody seeing you in that light, uh, is very upsetting. Uh, the other thing is, um, some people get into medicine and, uh, they rightfully recognize right away that, um, It doesn't feel like the right fit for them Mm. and they don't really belong in clinical practice. So the, and and this is getting to be a very complicated answer to your question, but what I'm seeing are uh, two rather large groups. Uh, One group is those physicians who are uh, 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 profoundly dedicated to Uh, being good doctors, being good physicians, and delivering health care and finding it difficult to do that because the people that they're working for are no longer the patients. They are some company or some insurance company or whatever. Uh, So they stand to benefit from coaching. And then the second group is those people who uh, simply got into Uh, this field of endeavor and they just feel like they don't belong Mm. and they're looking for something to do elsewhere, or maybe they just want to do something in addition to they're Mm. fine with clinical practice, but they want to add something else and to be able to connect with an absolutely uh, objective listener uh, and talk those things out is profoundly uh, valuable. And that's where, Coaching comes in, and that's why I think that uh, organizations such as ours uh, is a very good service.
0: Yeah, I know. So much there to unpack. And I mean, certainly that idea of having an unbiased listener that you can speak to without fear of any sort of repercussions, mm-hmm. because I find that physicians are sometimes it's hard to express. I mean, you know, like, oh, my gosh, what will people do if they find out that I'm disillusioned as a physician or if I'm trying to leave practice to go do exactly. something exactly yeah. and or even their own spouses or family, you know, to hear that might be completely shocked and, and unable. there's a
1: profound amount of guilt associated mm-hmm. with that.
0: Yeah, mm-hmm. you worked so hard to get here, you know, all that. Are you, are you abandoning people? Are you abandoning your patients? And um, one of the things you said that I found very interesting, so it brought me back to, I did interview my own dad for my podcast a couple of Oh, did you back. really? Yeah, and it was a Christmas special because he's a professional Santa Claus now. He's retired <laughs> from uh, nephrology. And he's a professional Santa. Uh, he's the Santa Claus for Bryant Park in New York city now. Um no kidding. Uh, yeah. And so uh, he talked about how a lot of times in medicine, um, he didn't feel like he had much of a creative outlet. Um, he felt like it mm-hmm. was very restrictive what he was allowed to do. And I mean, even if mm-hmm. you go down the road of what are doctors allowed to do outside of their practice that can t- not be seen as a conflict of interest, all that. So he told me how he found creative outlets, um, You know, and he found his own way, but certainly I'm seeing more and more physicians turn to something like, um, whatever it is, creating, um, podcasts or, uh, coaching or like, there's, there's a lot of things that I see physicians taking on. And I think it is part of that, as you mentioned, high achiever. I had a podcast episode recently where we're talking about high achievers and and the, the person I was interviewing joked that a lot of high achievers don't even notice that they're high achievers, but they are. <laughs> so a lot of people might listen That's to this exactly and say, oh, I'm not right. a high achiever, but if they're a doctor, you're a high achiever. That's just about yeah. all there is to that. Yeah. hmm So yeah. So I hear the the power of coaching when someone's in this sort of um, this this sphere of either uh, not completely happy with what's happening with them. Or looking to either looking to make a change within the practice or outside and the value exactly. of the coach.
1: That that cognitive dissonance of um uh you know, these thoughts and beliefs and attitudes uh that you've been feeling for years and years, and you sort of look in the mirror one day and uh, uh all of a sudden it doesn't match with reality. Mm. Uh, that's the time when you really need to talk to somebody. Uh, and, uh, ideally, uh, I think we think, uh, that the best somebody to talk to is somebody who has absolutely no judgment Mm -hmm. will be completely honest with you. And that's what we do.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think, I mean, I think my dad would be okay with me saying this, but he's described it to me that he reached a time in his life where he felt like he was living a life of quiet desperation and couldn't Mm -hmm. really say anything about it.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, and I. I understand that precisely and I, and I try not to get too personal in these conversations, but uh, uh, I went through exactly that. Uh, I reached a point where uh, I thought it was probably better if I stopped operating, if I stopped doing surgery. And interestingly, there's, a, there's actually some uh, conversation going on right now about whether or not there ought to be a, a mandatory retirement age for, surgeons, which I think uh, uh, that's going to be uh, an interesting conversation. But in any case, uh, as I was about to say, uh, I really didn't want to stop practicing, but uh, I thought it was best that I stopped doing surgery, particularly the, the huge complicated cases that I had been doing for uh, 44 years. And uh, uh, so I took over the management of a wound care and hyperic medicine center for my hospital. And uh, it was uh, uh, profoundly gratifying. Uh, I liked uh, seeing uh, the same patients week after week, month after month, because these people with chronic wounds, uh, you know, they don't heal up quickly and disappear. Whereas, you know, in my surgical practice, I would operate on a patient. We'd get them home from the hospital. They would see me maybe twice in the office. And they disappeared. But these patients I was, I was seeing for uh, a long, long time. And it was just, uh, I can't even begin to tell you what a gratifying experience it was. But again, there was that shift. I was no longer uh, absolutely my own boss. Uh, I was supposed to be the, the wound care. Uh, I was supposed to be the medical director of this wound care center. Uh, but the wound care center belonged to the hospital. And uh, they had a different way of evaluating our performance than uh, the physicians and the nurses did. And, I, and, and I'm sure that was when I stepped into that uh, sort of netherworld that your, that, your, uh, that your dad was talking about. And uh, even though I was doing the best that I could with every single patient that I touched, it was just an absolute uh, Ongoing battle, day in and day out, to get my overseers to uh, support me in what I was doing, hmm. uh, and that is uh, that is soul crushing.
0: Mm. Yeah, yeah. No, I'm hearing that. Uh, well, first off, that shift sounds fairly interesting, of from surgeon to uh, to more of that like uh, patient facing work, um, uh, and then also like doing your best, but not getting that support and how Mm -hmm. difficult that can be. And, um, I mean, one of the reasons I like working with physicians is they tend to, it was kind of like what you said. I mean, yes, the high achieving side, but they tend to be they tend to be great people, people <laughs> like I tend to really, I like exactly. my clients cause I want to, I like, I love, I want, I like to work with people I like hanging out with sure. and I like hanging out with my clients. Like it doesn't, it doesn't have to be all formal and everything. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the things you said though, uh, it's kind of funny. So years ago when I lived in, so I lived in Venezuela for 10 years. And at one point in time, a group of physicians came down to do um, cleft lip and cleft palate surgeries mm-hmm. um, because there was a, you know, a higher, you know, higher percentage of children with that issue um, than maybe in uh, more developed countries. Right. And they came down and some of these kids were um, seven, eight, nine, 10. I mean, they worked on adults even sometimes that had had this their whole lives. And I joked with my wife, um, my girlfriend at the time, but wife now um, I said, surgeons must not um, like patients very much because they've chosen Specialty where they don't spend a lot of time with them while they're awake <laughs> because yeah. we would, you know, them especially. And, and this was there was a barrier, a language barrier. The reason I was there was to sure. translate, I was there as a translator. Um, and uh, you know, basically the patient would come in asleep, the doctor would do the surgery, and they'd wheel them out before they woke up because this was also a very quick thing that they were doing, like multiple surgeries a day, and 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 you know, a lot of the. Surgeons obviously would come out and speak with the patient after the case and talk to the family and all that. But I did notice that disparity of not spending a whole lot of time with the patient while they're awake and spending a lot of time with them while they're asleep.
1: You know, I, I think surgeons get a little bit of a bad rap uh, because it's easy to give that impression. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, and, and believe me, uh, we, we have to admit that there are surgeons like that. Mm -hmm. Uh, They are expert technicians and uh, the reward for them is a perfect operation. But I think uh, the majority of us uh, really do like developing that connection uh, with patients. Uh, um, Most of the people that I've worked with during my career certainly do. Uh, Mm -hmm. They can tell you all kinds of stories about uh the the connections that they've made and uh, the things that 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 really make sense that sort of underscore the the reality that they do like the human connection but just because of the way the specialty is practiced it makes it a little bit difficult to make that entirely clear
0: mm-hmm. you know oh, absolutely. You,
1: the patient uh, uh comes into the operating room so drowsy they don't even know who you are and you do an operation and, uh, get them into the recovery room. They're fine. Uh, you go and talk to the family, but you can't really, uh, sit and spend an hour with them, uh, because the uh, operating room, people want you back in there uh, for your next case. So, uh, Mm -hmm. it's a different, it's a different kind of world that, uh, can get in the way of your, uh, need to get closer to the patient. But I think most of us try to do that.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I just thought I'd have that as a bit of an aside because that was what I, uh, well, I was actually pre-med for a little while. And then I went to a, um, I worked at Bellevue Hospital in New York City uh, for a summer as part of an interim program they had. And most of the kids there knew they wanted to be doctors. And this was something to pad their uh, resume, so to speak, or their portfolio. I was there to really figure out whether I wanted to do this or not. And I ended up deciding not to. Um mm-hmm. But I definitely got a good feel for all the different specialties and what their lives looked like and what their patient interaction looked like. It was a very fast. I bet fast, you did. Yeah, it was very fast. And and when I did the translating down in Venezuela, that was that was interesting too. But up in Bellevue Hospital, we did different rotations in different areas to get a feel for everything that was going on. And uh, yeah, at the end of it, I really wanted to be an a, a ambulance, uh, an ER, uh, uh an ambulance driver, uh, uh, not paramedic, but what's um, EMT. Yeah. I thought they had the most fascinating job because this was New York City. And I was like, maybe they do. <laughs> I was 19 and we were driving the wrong way down New York City streets, one way streets with the sirens blaring, trying to get, yeah. you know, we'd go to one thing, which was like someone who was, um, you know, dizziness in a, in a high rise uh, office building. And then the next one was in a low income area, someone dealing with heart, with chest pain. The next one was, I mean, it was just the variety of right. things they saw was just mind blowing.
1: And they uh, see all that life has to offer. Yeah, they yeah. really do.
0: So I walked out of there thinking, if I become anything, I'm becoming an EMT because it was just fascinating. <laughs> Whereas I met surgeons who said I, I met a surgeon who said a monkey could do my job because he said, I just do the same thing day in. And, day. and he didn't really, really mean it. But he did say that he said, I get to a point where you just feel like you're doing mm-hmm. the same thing over and over and
1: over again. And unfortunately, uh, that has uh, become more of a reality, I think, as uh this, as the science of surgery has mm. uh, has matured, if you were there, uh, there has become a specialty for just about every organ system uh, <clears throat> that you can name,
0: mm-hmm.
1: uh, and I can understand how uh, in this day and age that it's easy to feel that way. Uh, when I When I finished my surgery training, I was a general surgeon. And I pretty much did it all. Now, you know, neurosurgery had been, uh, isolated by that point in time as had orthopedics,
0: mm.
1: but, uh, you know, I did hernias, I did gallbladders, uh, mm. uh, you know, vein strippings, which we did back in those days. And, uh, I also did vascular surgery. I also did uh, cancer surgery, uh, and it was a great way to make a living.
0: Mm, a lot of variety. You bet. Mm, very interesting. Very interesting. And so I'd love to get, uh, to dive into the coaching side of things a bit more. Um, right. so where, what, what kinds of, so we've talked a little bit, you know, like the, the ability to provide a physician with a unbiased ear mm-hmm. where they can just say whatever they need to say and not mm-hmm. have to worry about any repercussions or any sort of <laughs> you know right. judgment. Um, what kinds of things do you see people coming to the table, physicians coming to the table with, of, uh, things that they're dealing with behind closed doors that they really need, uh, some coaching around?
1: Well, it's, it's basically, uh, those two things. Um, uh, mm-hmm. you know, I became a physician because I wanted to feel like I was making a difference. Uh, and, uh, they don't necessarily use these words, but they wanted to be able to feed their um, uh, uh, empathic spirit Uh, and then the other large group uh, is those people who have either uh, practiced for a long time and feel like they've got more to offer but they would prefer to do it in a non-clinical setting and they want to get out of clinical medicine Mm. Uh, and then the subtype of that are the people that get into medicine and find uh, that it's just not right for them Uh, and uh, and they want to make a change. So I think those are probably, um, uh, the, 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 two big categories. And, uh, with respect to the, the ones who want to remain in medicine, I find them to be, uh, the more challenging, uh, the more complex, um, I think probably uh, in many cases uh, that feeling begins to wash over them because the job that they're doing is just simply not giving them the uh, uh, personal reward that they expected that it would. Um, And, In most cases, it will be related to this nebulous thing that we call burnout,
0: Mm.
1: which is another thing that that I think uh, is a very difficult subject to talk about. We don't have a good definition for burnout. Um, You know, we we it's one of those things. I know it when I see it, but I don't know how to Mm -hmm. describe it and that kind of thing. But Mm I see that, uh, and just about everybody that comes up and says, I- I'm not getting the personal reward from this that I thought I was going to get. Mm. And I could be wrong, but I don't think so. Um, I- I'm going to go out on a limb and tell you that, y- you know, uh, it- it's 2021. Um, I started my medical training in 1971. So I've been at this for literally a half century.
0: Mm. Uh,
1: It was different 50 years ago. And the pace of change picked up. But um, there has been an evolution through which physicians have had uh, every reason to um, feel like hardly anyone sees their value, Mm. you know, they can be uh, replaced by a nurse practitioner perhaps, or, uh, you know, uh, we're, we're going to sell our group to the hospital and the hospital doesn't need as many of these uh, specialists, whatever the case might be. Uh, But rather than feeling like they are actually doing a job providing a service for a patient, they feel like an employee, and it's very difficult uh, for them to make that uh, meaningful, empathic uh, connection in those circumstances. Hmm. And those are the people that I think uh, can benefit by being coached into leadership positions, hmm. as we talked about uh, uh, in in our opening. Uh, a few minutes ago, um, the, um, the 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 need to um, take control of circumstances uh, and uh, restore the uh, patient physician uh, connection to what it was back when I started, for example, uh, if it can be accomplished, I think it will go a long way toward uh, wiping out this thing that we call burnout. Mm. But in order to do that, uh, physicians have to take much more control of the healthcare delivery environment. And unless you are someone who understands the business world, Uh, knows how to uh, negotiate with people whose ideas don't necessarily align with yours uh, Mm -hmm. and uh, have an influence on people who see physicians more as overhead than as healers, Mm -hmm. uh, you're going to have a very hard time with it. Mm -hmm. So one of the things that we can do uh, at at MD Coaches uh, is to uh, help people find ways to develop those executive skills that uh can able can enable you to um uh, function in that environment to to help uh take control of the physician experience because it's just not something that comes naturally to mm. physicians uh so uh the the opportunity for us to help people work on their leadership skills And give them an opportunity to uh, step out there and take control of their work environment, I think, is uh, uh, a a really – it's a big plus for us. Uh, We get a a lot of gratification for helping people sort of restore themselves to a point where they feel like they actually uh, are making a difference Mm -hmm. uh, in their own environment. Mm-hmm. And then, as we said before, there there are people who who just feel like they don't belong and they don't want to do clinical medicine anymore. And again, um, the development of these executive skills uh, to apply to your effort to function uh, in a non-clinical role is also very important. Mm-hmm. So those are broad generalities, um, but if you're a good coach um, – you're gonna let the you're gonna let your client tell you what they need, mm-hmm. and yeah. uh, you're gonna do way more listening uh, than you do instructing. Absolutely. And uh, what we find is that uh, when an individual is uh, given that opportunity, particularly someone who is uh, as intelligent and as motivated as most physicians are they will start to put the pieces together Hmm. and uh once that starts you know how can you not succeed
0: yeah no i got it yeah i know definitely talking about you know that um the burnout and the difference between the way that things were practiced decades ago versus now and i was on a i had a episode recently where we were talking about uh the arrival fallacy which the physician's um, experience is set up to the to almost like they're always waiting for the next thing. Like uh, you know, like a lot of the people I was in this um this program in New York City were already pre-med. And they said, okay, then I'm gonna do pre-med, then I'm gonna go to residence med school, then I'm gonna do residency, then I'm gonna mm-hmm. do mm-hmm. fellowship, then I'm gonna like this whole list of things, and then I'm gonna be at this spot. And then I think it's the human experience to think, oh, once I get to this spot, then I will be. Content or happy. That's exactly right, and I feel like the physician experience uh, amplifies that because it's so much waiting. Like now that I'm practicing, maybe one by the time I pay off my debt, now I'll be. You know, it's like all these things that keep like encouraging this arrival fallacy of one day I'll be I'll be happy or content, and you can wait forever.
1: (laughs) You're exactly right uh, about that, and I think. One of the things that we can do as coaches is to help uh, physicians refocus on what really makes a difference to them. You're, you're exactly right. When you get um, distracted by focusing on uh, making your student loans go away and getting into the, the house and the neighborhood that you want to be in and so forth and so on. Uh, that wheel just never stops turning, Mm -hmm. but if we can, uh, find a way to help people, uh, focus on the incredible, um, uh, self-satisfaction of being a physician, of being there for a person who is in need and, uh, uh, experiencing the gratitude uh, that comes from the patient because of that. Mm. All of those other things begin to uh, take on a different perspective. It's not that those challenges are not out there. You know, we all have to pay our bills and and get our kids through school and all of those sorts of things. But if you can uh, go to work and uh, reach the end of your day and feel like you made a difference, that just makes everything a mm-hmm. lot easier to deal with. And it gives you a much better perspective uh, on what's really important in your life. And, uh, and the, and, and the tragic thing that I see today is that it's getting hard. It's getting harder and harder for, uh, physicians to really, uh, have that experience. Mm-hmm. And okay. again, I, I think the, I think the key to that, the answer to that, uh, is simply that physicians need to, uh, regain the, uh, influence that they had when I started, for example, uh, you know, in, in those days, a long time ago, um, there was, uh, always, uh, uh, some component of the medical staff in every hospital, uh, that spoke for the physicians and, uh, administrative people, uh, never even considered invading that space, mm. but it simple. It simply doesn't happen that way, uh, mm-hmm. anymore. Uh, mm. you know, we're, we're working with uh, nurse to patient ratios that are, uh, worse than they've ever been. Uh, I don't think physicians would uh, have ever let that happen uh, if they had had a proper proper voice. And the list goes on sure. and on. But again, uh, in order to uh, have success with that, you got to have a seat at the table. Mm-hmm. And to have a seat at the table, you're going to have to be taken seriously. Yeah. And you got to learn some executive skills.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: those are the kind of things that we could help with.
0: That's amazing. That's great. No, I love the, um, like the breadth of experience you've had. I see how you have a lot of insight into this progression and this evolution. And then the different skill sets that uh, are necessary to bring about change, um, which is very, very cool. Um, Yeah, as we wrap up the, uh, the conversation, I just want to make sure everyone knows exactly how to find out more about what you guys are up to over, uh, with, uh, MD coaches. So if you let us know, like, is there a best place to check you out? Um, I know that I imagine that if you, well, yeah, go ahead. Was there a best place to, to find you online? Like the
1: easy way to do it is, uh, to go to the MD coaches website, which is my MD coaches.com. That's Got it. M Y M D coaches.com. And, uh, once you're there, you can find links, obviously, to everything that we do. Uh, there's a link to the podcast in there. But uh, if, some, if someone wanted to go directly to my podcast, which would make me very happy, by the way, uh-huh. uh, the, it's, uh, it's called Prescription for Success, and you can find it on all the podcast platforms. Uh, but uh, the podcast website is rxforsuccesspodcast.com. Dot com, And if you put that in the browser, it'll take you uh, right to the podcast website. But again, probably the easiest way to do it is to go through the MD Coaches website. I'm happy to get anybody's email. Um, and uh, my email address is Randall with two L's, randall.cook at mymdcoaches.com.
0: That's great. Yeah. So people can reach out directly to you if they have any questions. And then you bet. be sure to check out mymdcoaches.com where you'll see links to the different, uh, all. The, well, you see all the different, um, uh, resources that are available, including the Prescription for Success podcast. That's fantastic. Well, thank you so much, Doctor Cook, for joining me today. Uh, definitely gave me a lot of insight into what you're up to, the power of coaching with physicians. So, was happy to have the conversation. It's been a lot of fun. I,
1: I just uh, I can't tell you how astounded I was to find
0: to find out that
1: you were originally a Georgia boy. <laughs> That's right. Surprise.
0: Born in Rome, Georgia, just outside of Atlanta. Not a lot of people. Uh, yeah. Not a lot of people know that, but yeah, I've moved around a few times since then. But uh, that's right. I grew up in outside of Atlanta, in a small town called Rome, Georgia. Yeah.
1: I'm <laughs> very familiar with Rome. It's right on the Alabama Georgia border, or at least close to. I guess. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So I was born at uh, Floyd General Hospital, and that's where my, my dad had his practice nephrology, uh, nephrology practice in uh, Rome, Georgia. That's where. Wow. That's where he was working. A while back. It was back in the 80s, I think, when he had yeah. his private practice in dialysis. <laughs> awesome. Well, so so great talking to you.
1: Same here. Enjoyed it. Thanks.
0: Thanks so much for having joined me on this episode of A Clean Bill of Wealth Podcast. I truly appreciate you taking the time to do so. really warms my heart to see the numbers of people listen to each episode go up. It's just a lot of fun. Feel free to scroll through the other episodes. I've interviewed a lot of really amazing people and just want to get their insights out there to Canadian physicians. If you're left wondering anything about your financial plan, whether you're making the most of your corporation, are you on track for retirement, or there more efficiencies you could be finding, feel free to head on over to galenhelpsdocs.com. That's G-A-L-E-N helpsdocs.com. You can read more about the work I do, uh, my offer of fee-based planning, which is pretty popular among medical professionals where you pay for a plan, you don't have to buy a product go over there, click a button, book a free call. We'll have a quick conversation and see if you're a good fit for the fee-based services. All right. Thanks so much for joining me. Take care.